morning. If I'm correct, I, I love that song. I think, is it from John Foreman? Oh, there he is. Um, it's a beautiful song. I think it's one of my favorites from him. I have a, a little bit of housekeeping to do first um, before we get started. Afif, can you give me a hand real quick? Can you come up here for a second? So it is my understanding that you have, uh, you have been without a pastor since how long? If you can help me out. November. November. You got the date? 15th. November 15th. No, no, November of 2015. Huh? November, November of 2015. Oh, okay, I thought, it was, I thought he had the date. Well, at, at 12.48 p.m. Um, now, I've called Afif up here. Because whether you know this or not, and I'm sure you know this, this church did not run itself. Um, and, and I'm calling a fief, but I'm also going to call out if the elders could stand up also. I didn't want to call everybody up here, but, but if the elders could stand up here. And I want to give some affirmation to these men who have led this church to where you guys are at. And um, if you can also, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about clapping. You can say an amen or, or something. Uh, but, but the Lord has used these men to get you where you are here today. Um, another thing about a fief, I, I think there's more kids that are Leonors that are coming here that I'm meeting every time I come. So, uh, so he was propagating the gospel by just having kids, you know. Um, but I, I just want to thank you. Again, thank you all for, for your ministry here. Thank you for coming up. You haven't? Was that the first time? Sing with me. <clears throat> Again, my voice, not really. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, I ask that your spirit is what leads. May it not be my words. May it be nothing but the spirit of Christ that is lifted up. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Glenn was seven. His brother Floyd was 12 or 13. And every day they would go to school in this little schoolhouse. And it was their job, as the story reports, it was their job to get the heater running. Every day they had to get there early, put the coals, put the kerosene, and every day they would get the heat running. One day, as they got there early, Floyd, the elder brother, 
there were already coals in the heater. Now, the, there are different reports to this. So some say that Glenn was the one who was, who was there. Uh, but Floyd, it seems that he was the one that was actually starting the, the fire. And he grabbed the, the can of kerosene. And he started to pour it on the coals, not knowing that somebody had put gasoline where the kerosene was supposed to be. And he poured this in here, and as you know, automatically in flames. And Glenn was far enough away that the flames covered his lower portion of his body, but consumed a lot of his flesh. Finally, the teacher comes seeing the, the school in flames. Now, there are two reports to what really happened here. Some say that they actually made it out and went all the way home. But the report that I think is probably a little bit more credible said that somebody went in and dragged them out. Floyd, being consumed by the fire, didn't make it much longer. He passed away. Glenn, the young boy, uh, unconscious, was dragged out, and he was taken home. Most of his lower portion, the flesh consumed, he overhear, he's reported to overhearing his mom say, or this doctor that was visiting, say, he's probably going to die, and you might want him to pass away so he isn't a burden, because he will never walk again. And Glenn remembered hearing that. And saying in his mind, I will not be a burden on my mom. I will walk again. So that was his focus. His focus was, I will walk again. Every, every day he kept this in front of him. I will walk again. And every day his mom would cart him out on a wheelchair just to get fresh air. And she would just stay there. And he wouldn't. He would crawl out and crawl on the ground, dragging his feet behind him. She would try to put him back in. He would crawl out. Eventually, she let him go. It's, it's not worth this fight. She let him go, and she remembers the first time that she saw him pull himself up onto the white picket fence, dragging himself, trying to walk. And then, as the story goes, as he pulled himself up, sometimes a donkey would come by and he would grab onto the donkey and be drugged trying to walk behind a donkey. Eventually, he started to walk. He not only started to walk, but as time went on, he started to run. Some of you a little bit 
advanced in age might even know this story. Because he started to run, and he, he ran and started breaking high school records in Elkhart, Kansas. And then he went to, uh, I believe it was the University of Kansas, and started running and winning races there. And then, I think the year was 1934, where Glenn Cunningham, if you've ever heard the name, broke the world record in the indoor mile. He ran it in four minutes and eight seconds. In that year, he broke the world record of the outdoor mile, which I think was four minutes and seven seconds. Eventually, his best time, I think it was four years later, was four minutes and four seconds. Now, some people have claimed that he did actually break the four-minute mile. It was just not at a, an event where they recorded the time. Because his focus was, I will walk again. I will not burden my mom. And he kept it always right in front of him. He was able to accomplish world record-breaking speeds. Oh, I think I'm... By the way, uh, am I going the wrong way? Uh, yay, that's him, by the way. I should have shown his picture earlier. That's Glenn Cunningham. John 3.14 is a conversation. A conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. If you know this story, this is one of the, fam the most famous conversations, which I would say the most famous and well-known verses in all of Scripture comes from this conversation. I know I have seen at sporting events where people hold this up, and I'm, I don't even know if they know what the verse is, but they hold John 3.16. I, I don't know what good that does, but I'm hoping it does some good to hold up a reference. But, but he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, and you find verses like, for example, don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. Because earlier there, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And previous to that, he even said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he rebukes Nicodemus. He said, You don't know this, though you've been a teacher for years? This is basic gospel. And he says at the heart of this, before he gets to, the, uh, to John 3.16, he said, as Moses is lifted up, uh, as, wait, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you want to know 
what I'm all about. I'm like the serpent that was lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up. Period. I'm going to say that again. Jesus must be lifted up. Nothing else needs to be lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up. We're going to get to why I'm saying this. This is so elementary, but so sad that Jesus oftentimes is not what is lifted up. Jesus alone must be lifted up. This story is, a refer- is referring to something that Nicodemus obviously would have known in, in Numbers chapter 21. If you go to Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4, I'm not going to give you too much time to get there. Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, it says this. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, Why have you brought us up? Out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food, no water, and we loathe this miserable food. By the way, do you know what he was what food they were referring to? What do they loathe? Manna. This stuff is gross. We're eating this every day. We have no spices. What are we supposed to do with this? So they did have food. Lechem, they had food, but they just didn't have what they wanted. And so we don't have any water, which I'm sure they had water, or they would be dead. But as the story goes, the, the path that they were taking and why they were so frustrated is their backs were probably towards Canaan. So they felt like they were moving away from what was promised to them, this place of milk and honey. They were moving away into an arid place where there was sand and stone and it was hot. And they didn't have the food that they liked. And he said, why did you bring us here? So the Lord, in his patience, sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of Israel, many people of Israel died. By the way, it specifically says they were fiery serpents. Uh, this, is, this is the same word as the seraphim, the seraph, which means burning. Now, I'm assuming they were not on fire, but it's talking about the inflammation that either created, that's what some scholars believe, or that they were just super aggressive. Um, My family, most of my family do not like snakes. Actually, I was really proud of my daughter. There was one time, there's a a friend of ours from Texas. 
that their son loves snakes. He will go around looking for snakes, just, you know, on a walk, and he'll spot snakes like crazy. So one day they were playing in, in their backyard, and he found one. And he's like, look, look, look. And he just intentionally drops it in her lap. And I thought she was just going to freeze because we're watching this as it happens. I thought she was just going to freeze. Well, she picked it up and put it down. Right, good. My wife probably would not have done that. She would have screamed. I remember when we were in Colorado, I was cutting the grass, and, uh, and I must have cut the tail off of one snake. And it was, you know, moving, uh, moving along. And, and I'm trying to move it with a, a stick in my hand, trying to move it along, along. Well, it started going to wherever Anna was at. And she was screaming. She's like, you get that thing away from me. And, and it just seemed to know where she was. And it was following. It was not a fiery serpent. My mom was so, so afraid of snakes that she wouldn't even turn the pages of books that had pictures of snakes. Those were not fiery serpents. These were fiery serpents that the Lord sent to them. Well, they cry out. It says, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he removed the serpents from us, and Moses interceded for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, uh, yeah, make a fiery serpent, and set it out on a standard or on a pole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when they look at it, will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it out on a standard, and it came about that if a person, if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to that bronze serpent, he lived. Now let me ask you this, and, and these are obvious answers. If Moses said, well, a serpent's sort of hard to make, even though I don't understand how it would be harder than any, it would be probably the easiest. You'd, I mean, you've made, a, you've made snakes on, with uh, clay before, right? That's probably what he did with bronze. I don't know if that's, you can do that with bronze. I've never worked with bronze. But Say he said, I do not want to make a, a serpent. Snakes are ugly. I want to make a lion. A lion is more godly, right? When you think, I want to make a lion and lift it up, and that should work. Would it have worked? If we understand what God says to do, it wouldn't have worked. But what if he said, no, 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 okay, not a lion. Actually, let's put a lamb that was slain, and we'll put that up there. Would that have worked? No. None of that would have worked. God said, lift up a serpent. People will look at it, and they will live. There was one thing to be lifted up in that story, and it was a serpent. That's it. So let me ask you a question. If, if me, as a Seventh-day Adventist, because sometimes it, 
it's funny, I was having this conversation a little bit earlier. Me as a Seventh-day Adventist, sometimes we differentiate between being a Seventh-day Adventist and being a Christian, which in my mind, they should be the same. If I'm a believer in Scripture, I, they should be the same. If I call myself a Christian, if I lift up this, is this what God wants to be lifted up? The Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle. What we eat, the way we dress, is that what should come, is that what people should know? Well, well, Joe over there, he's a Seventh-day Adventist, and I know that because of this. Is that, is that what it should be? How about our health message? I guess that goes along with lifestyle. Should people know me because I am a vegetarian? Should they know that that's, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I am vegetarian? State of the dead? Is it that doctrine that I should lift up? Is it? No. I should hear more no's, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. Even our most sacred Sabbath. If I lifted this up and said, we the Seventh-day Adventists believe this is what we lift up, is that what should be lifted up? I'm going to have a hard time with this clicker thing. Nope. Wrong way. John 12 says this. Verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now it was talking about his death. You you read the context. But he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Did he say, if I have a Revelation seminar and I put posters up of beasts and dragons, that's going to draw all men to me? Is that what he said? Are you sure? Wait, wait, wait. Have you ever seen that method done? All right. Did he say, if I... If I preach about all the 28 fundamentals, that will draw all men to me? No. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus and Jesus alone must be lifted up. By the way, my daughter made these, which are probably neater than I would have made them. And so I asked her to help me. Jesus and Jesus alone is to be lifted up. I know it sounds so elementary. But I'm telling you this as my first official sermon here. Because if you don't believe this, then I'm at the wrong church.
And we, we're already unpacking. I'm hoping I'm not at the wrong church. <laughs> but I am if you don't believe that Jesus and Jesus alone should be lifted up. I am not saying that those other doctrines are not important in the periphery, in the shadow of Jesus. But Jesus and Jesus alone should be lifted up. And if there is ever a question between the two, whether it be doctrine versus Jesus, guess who I default to? Jesus. You know, if you, uh, if you understand the, the history of the, the Pharisees, let's see if I get this right. I have a statement up here. It says, good things are not always the right thing. Good things are not always the right thing. If you understand the history of the Pharisees, you know, a lot of times the Pharisees get sort of this bad rap. We do not like Pharisees as Greek-thinking Christians, Western Christians. But, you know, I like the Pharisees a lot more than I did the Sadducees. And I don't know if you know the history of the, of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were believed to come about because the Jewish people were always going into idolatry and then into bondage. So they were in bondage and they're going into idolatry. You've read, if you've read all the Old Testament, they just continually are leaving God and then they cry because they're in bondage. So these guys said, why don't we do this? We have God's law here. Why don't we start making a little bit these borders that if, if God's law says don't go over the cliff, why don't we make a fence that's two feet back? Doesn't that make sense? That makes sense. Perfect sense. And some of them said, well, I don't know if that's really because you got kids that want to climb that fence and they still want to look over. Why don't we make it about four feet back? And that fence... Let's start making them narrower and narrower of a fence. Because we want to keep them safe, right? By the way, I have an, a, an older friend from, from Texas that, that told me he believed that... How do we say this? He believed that we could get rid of, in his words, stupid people if we stopped getting into the safety business. Because natural selection would take care of that well enough, you know. Let the, let the people that are, you know, let them crawl through if they want. But these Pharisees said, hey, we need to keep our people safe, and we do not want to go into bondage anymore. So let's keep going back, and let's make them narrower of slats so that they can't even see the edge of the cliff. Is that bad? The intentions were not bad. But as you know the story, they made a very rigid religion. And if you go to Mark chapter 2, Mark 2, when they're talking about the Sabbath, well, actually, before they get to the Sabbath, Jesus 
goes over to Matthew's house, who's a tax collector and, you know, hated by a lot of people. They're sinners there, probably some drunkards, gamblers, um, some Cubs fans. Oh, I mean, just joking. Just joking. There are all these people here, and the, and the Pharisees are saying, what are you doing with these guys? And then they're not washing their hands while they're eating, and, and, and they're not keeping the Jewish tradition. And Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on a new garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away, and, a new one, and the new from the old, and the worse tear has resulted. So any of you guys sew? Okay. My understanding here, because I do not sew, is that if you have very old, rewashed, washed, 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 I, I don't know if they, I'm assuming they didn't have dryers there, but it would shrink. But then if you put a, sewed a patch on top of it, that would need to shrink also, correct? If that shrinks, the threads will tear the old cloth. What Jesus is saying here is in your rigidity, you can't just patch Jesus and gospel on top. We as Seventh-day Adventists, I hope, do not just put a patch of Jesus on top of our religion. Hopefully, the whole cloth is Jesus. And he says the same thing. You pour wine, new wine, into old wineskins, which would get so rigid, eventually they'll burst. It would make it worse to do that, to just patch Jesus onto us. I hope that, and pray that we don't just patch Jesus onto what we have. Instead, We've got a gospel of life where Jesus and Jesus alone is lifted up. That's it. Is that too easy? Is it too easy? Maybe for some. When, yay. This summer I had the opportunity to take my family, this family here, to New York City. My wife had never been to New York City and my kids have never been to New York City. But they did not have the experience to sing these two towers. The last time I was there was 2004, but the, year, the time before that I went in the year 2000. And I remember my aunt taking me on the ferry. It wasn't the first time we had gone on the ferry to the Statue of Liberty. You know, you go, uh, how many of you have ever been to New York City? Taking the ferry to the, to the statue? Go to Ellis Island and then over to the Statue of Liberty? Well, I remember going to Ellis Island, to the statue, then to Manhattan, and I remember, and this picture does no justice. If you've gone there, you understand that. That as you're, the ferry is 
approaching Manhattan, those towers were enormous. And, it, and no matter how good of a picture, and I, and I tried looking for pictures where, they, where the, they would be facing up, you don't realize how much they dictated and demanded your attention as you are going along the water. All the other buildings probably had little brother syndrome. Oh, they're so big, I'm so tiny. They demanded to be lifted up. They demanded your attention. Jesus and Jesus alone is what I ask this church. If you really want me as your pastor, I'm asking that collectively the people in this community, the people beyond that know you and me will know that we lift Jesus and Jesus alone up. And guess what? It says, if Jesus be lifted up, he will draw all men to him. We're actually going to start a new tradition here, unless very much opposed. I am going to read the Birkat Kahonim. Yavareka Adonai veyishmareka, Yair Adonai panav alecha vechuneka, Yisa Adonai panav alecha veyesim lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, we just ask that your spirit lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace and happy Sabbath.